the comic book pit. Okay. daytime persona now this is this is a different type of recording that we're doing this is um this is our first uh kind of regular episode that's recorded during the day um my schedule being what it is now it makes it uh it's getting harder to record in the evenings with uh duke and jared so mr atkins here was kind enough to uh lend me some time during his day to uh you know, talk some comics. So I appreciate that. No problem, man. It's it's, it's kind of weird being fun. it's kind of weird being on the day shift. Yeah, like I remember when you emailed me, I almost <laughs> I almost wanted to mention like, should we uh, make like some daytime jokes or like start covering uh, as the world turns? <laughs> we could do like a we could do like a whole Kathy Lee and Hoda thing. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say too. Like we should start drinking wine. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it is you know there that is Wine Wednesday or no? What do they call it? Wines Day, I think, or do they just call it Wine Wednesday. I don't know. Nice. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we're like we're like a couple of day walkers, you know. <laughs> we're just uh, but you know we don't you know we're not living living the uh the glamorous life of the uh of the night shift like uh Duke and Jared. I mean you know going to the nightclubs and. Hitting all the hot spots, seeing the chicks, seeing all the you know the all the you know you know being in the glamorous life of the uh, of the uh, nighttime. This is the you know this is the daytime. This is where we grind it out. Exactly. This is this is the uh, this is the ham and egg shift. You know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know um, uh, how regularly we're gonna we're gonna do this this is kind of a more or less an experiment because i think um in uh talking briefly with duke and jared they're still going to record a regular episode tomorrow night so we may have you know we may have uh depending on how schedules fall uh one or two episodes per week now and uh i've also been talking with uh with someone else about um, possibly guest hosting with me during the day, and he's our our good friend and compatriot and local uh, creator uh, Marcel Walker. Nice. Yeah. So we're uh, we're gonna meet Friday afternoon and hang out for a bit and see. Uh, you know. Um, yeah. So we might. You know. Who knows the. Uh, the day shift may be the uh, like the new the new hotness, you know. <laughs> the new hotness, the bling. That's right. 
everyone parties in the morning now. Of course. That's the only time to party. You know, people are doing the walk of shame. They just go right to another party. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so um, I don't know. We can um, – I've got a few comics to talk about. Um, I don't know if um, uh, what what you've got um, – I, I know we kind of did a little pre-show talking about what you were – reading these days. Um, is there anything that is really jumping out at you that you're, that you're loving? Uh, on my read or just in general? Cause I like the flash. That's. Oh, oh, you mean like the show? Oh yeah. I love that show. Man. Yeah. I just watched the, um, I just watched the mid season finale. Oh, don't spoil it for me. Oh, I, I haven't had a chance. I to. won't, I won't, I won't. Um, I was talking to, Senior Jared last night, so by the time we got done, I couldn't watch it. Yeah, but it was um, it was excellent. Um, we, I mean, just in general, I mean that that, that show has just been uh, a treat. Yeah, you know, uh, just week in and week out, it's been. You know, I don't think they've had a, a bad episode yet. Uh, I mean, I, I I might be looking at it with you know rose colored glasses because I just. I enjoy everything about it, you know, all the people that are in it, um, the, you know, just how, um, and, and not only the actors and their performances and the, the characters and everything, but just how, um, they're really diving into the DC mythos. Like they're not afraid to throw out, you know, names and characters and, and, um, hint towards future storylines. I mean, it's just been really fun. Yeah, it has. Like I, I've been chomping at the bit when they, uh, ever since they mentioned Gorilla Grog, like Mm -hmm. even in the beginning, the teasers and stuff. And I was like, Oh my God, they're going to bring in Gorilla Grog. Mm -hmm. And they actually, they actually showed him that one, that one time. Yeah. And I was so glad it wasn't going to be like a guy that was just like, I'm Gorilla Grog or they yeah. just call me the gorilla or something like that. I'm like, right. no, just give me an ape. Yeah, that was a nice, gorilla. that was a nice flat, like in that flashback scene, um, when they showed him that he was, you know, Dr. Wells was working with the government at one point and I guess he was, uh, you know, uh, Gorilla Grog was, a, uh, I guess some sort of government experiment or government project. So. It's, it'll be interesting to, you know, it's like, where's Grodd? You know, he's just gone. And, now, uh, he was from Gorilla City, right? Yes. That's someone else. No, he, now, my, my, my knowledge of, like, old school Flash lore is limited at best, but, um, yeah, so I don't really know Grodd's comic background, but yeah, he is, you know, from what I understand, that's where he originates from is the Gorilla City. Okay. It's like I was, oh, I was always kind of sure about it. Like, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm not too familiar with it. I was just kind of excited that they they were thinking about bringing in a talking gorilla because I know he's a talking gorilla. And I thought that would be just really neat just to see. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, and just the, you know, the, the, the hints at, 
crisis and the reverse flash and uh, firestorm and I mean just I must have missed the firestorm thing. That's are are, are you pretty was much that a drop or was that like? Well, they they they, they dropped clues um, at the beginning because uh, the one uh, assistant at Star Labs, uh, Caitlin. Her her fiance also worked there, and his name was Ronnie Raymond. And he they assumed that he died in the uh, the accident that caused all the metahumans, but they've slowly been showing him just kind of like wandering the streets, like he's oh, like he's kind of like guy. yeah he's kind of a bum like and his he's kind of on like I think it was the last episode or two episodes ago like a couple of punks tried to like thought he was just a, like a, a bomb that they could either rob or beat up or whatever. And he turned around and his, his hands and his head were on fire. And I'm like, yes, that is oh, awesome. That guy. Yeah. I, you know, I never put two to do together because there's just so many superheroes that catch themselves on fire. Mm-hmm. And I was like, he has to be something, but I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> and I well, remember people mentioning a couple of them saying like, "Yeah, they they're talking about Firestorm," and I was like, "What?" But okay, yeah, I'm I'm caught up up until last night because I watched that uh, Flash versus Green Arrow. Oh yeah, the, uh, the the crossover was that was so cool. That was really cool. I mean, both both episodes were really good. Yeah, it really was. I I. Yeah, I really liked it a lot. Although I thought it was going to be more like um, how, I mean, I guess they kind of did. Because it seemed like there were more like individual stories and going to each city. But I kind of guess it was, I thought they were going to do more like um, how uh, the Batman and Superman animated series did. When they put the two together in World's Finest, Mm -hmm. where Batman shows up in Metropolis and takes down the Joker and Joker and Lex team up. So I thought that was going to be like that, but oh, okay. I think this is this was a lot better. Well, I thought. Um, I guess I just assumed that it was going to be a a, a two parter, like that. You know, the the Flash episode would end on a or a cliffhanger, or I would say like to be continued, or um, I mean, there were some like things that carried over to to the Arrow episode, but both episodes were, you know, still very, uh, you know, they were both just individual, like standalone episodes. Yeah. You know, that they just happened to cross over in. Um, but I, I really like the, uh, the relationship between Barry and Oliver. And just the fact that they're, you know, they're starting and, and then like, not like they and the people around them, like their supporting cast are starting to accept the fact that there are people like the Flash out there or, you know, you know, super villains and metahumans and yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, it's like we're like, we're living in a golden age of comic book television right now. Yeah. It, it's nice. It really is. Mm-hmm. Although I, I hear Constantine 
is on uh, on the ropes. So I'm kind of hoping that pulls through. I haven't had a chance to watch it. Yeah, I've only watched the first episode, and um, I I liked it for what it was. I mean, you know, um, I, I'm not a big Hellblazer fan. I think I've only read, like, one trade, like one random trade paperback, and it was years ago. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have any particular affinity for that character. So I, you know, whatever they do with him, you know, it, it's not going to like, I'm not going to be all up in arms. I know some people love it. Some people hate it. Um, from my limited knowledge, like it looks like they got a pretty good guy to play the part of uh, John Constantine, but you know, I, I don't know if NBC was hoping that the, the spillover from like the, the cause it, I think it's on the same night as that show, um, Grimm, which yeah. is also like a supernatural, um, type of show. I guess they were maybe hoping that those two, like, you know, like maybe the Grimm crowd would, you know, be on for Constantine. I don't know. But like I said, like I, I, I enjoyed the pilot. And um, I thought, you know, I, I could easily watch more. I just never got around to it. Mm-hmm. I was, maybe I watched maybe like 30 minutes. I'll admit it leaked. Uh, I watched the leaked episode or the leaked uh, pilot on YouTube. And I probably got okay. like halfway through. And um, I wanted to watch more just at that time, you know. Millie was getting up, so I, I had to stop the television. Mm-hmm. That and it was pretty crappy quality. So <laughs> yeah, it was like all pixelated, and I was like, I guess I can keep watching this. It's kind of like when you find like some cool YouTube movies. Like I found Doctor Strange on YouTube, okay. like the the seventies TV movie, yeah. but it's really crappy quality. Oh sure. And um, it's like I guess I can keep trying, but. By that time, Millie was up, so I was like, all right, I'm done. And I just haven't had a chance to go back to it. Yeah, I knew that they, the pilots for Constantine and The Flash had leaked, like, early, like, very early, like, in the summertime. Yeah. Um, and I was very tempted to watch them, especially The Flash. But I decided that, well, again, Constantine, I could have watched it or not watched it and really not cared, but... The Flash, I was like, I'm I'm gonna wait for this one. You know, normally, you know, if something leaks, I don't really have a problem watching it. I don't really care that much. Um, but I just had a good feeling about the Flash, and I was like, no, I want I want this to be special. You know, <laughs> I want I want to have a real moment with this show. And you know, I I felt the same way. Like, I, I'll admit, like. When it comes to Flash comics, I'm very limited in my Flash comics. Mm-hmm. But I was a kid when the Flash TV show came out. Oh, right. Like, on CBS, and I loved that show. Actually, I literally went to my comic shop, and Flash was going to be my comic book, right? But when I asked the dealer, mm-hmm. uh, I was like, can you tell me about the Flash? Is Barry still in the in the comic and he said no, and I, I actually was like, all right, then I'm, I'm not going to get out to see Batman <laughs> and X Men. But I, you know, 
because it was from the TV show, and I loved Barry as a character on the show. Sorry for the creakiness of my chair. <laughs> and I just loved that show so much when I was a kid. It so it was like, you know, I if they didn't kill him off, uh, what was it, like seven, eight years prior, I would have probably been a Flash uh, comic book reader. Mm-hmm. Well, so. I, I was in the... Um Late 80s, early 90s, um, I started reading the the Wally West Flash, and like I, I knew Barry had existed. Like I knew there was, I, you know, I knew that Wally was not the original Flash, but at that time, like I didn't really care because you know, I think I, I grew up in the era where Wally West was was my Flash, and and it was interesting that. In the first Flash show, and then in this one, they they keep going back to Barry Allen, like as the character, as the guy, you know, as the, which you know, I guess from an origin point of view, if you're telling a story from the beginning, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But I think for so many people like our age that um, grew up reading in the comics in the 80s and 90s, you know, Barry wasn't around. You know, he would. He would, uh, there'd be glimpses here and there or teases or, but he didn't come back until the 2000s. You know, they, they brought him back in, uh, I, I guess it was probably an event, but then he also had his, uh, miniseries like the Flash Rebirth miniseries. Um, so I, I think it was the same in, in, in a, in a similar way when, you know, they announced uh, years ago that, you know, it was going to be how the how Jordan Green Lantern in the movie. A lot of people were like, what happened to Jon Stewart? Because all those people mm-hmm. grew up watching Justice League Unlimited or the, you know, Justice League cartoon. And it was Jon Stewart who was the Green Lantern. So it's, it's, it's always interesting with these legacy characters to see what direction they're going to go in and see how the fans react because... You know, I, it, DC always made a big deal about like, oh, we're bringing Barry Allen back. The the original Scarlet Speedster is coming back, and I'd be like, I don't really care. I mean, I never, you know, I didn't read the Flash in the '60s and '70s. You know, I read him in the '90s, and it wasn't Barry Allen, and it was just like, you know, I could never get excited about the character of Barry Allen in the comics. And when, when I did read him, he was just kind of, I don't know. I, I thought he was kind of blah, just kind of boring. Um, now I, I haven't read him in the new 52, so I don't know what the, um, you know, what they've done with him. Um, but yeah, like I said, Wally West was always my guy and he was, you know, I, the, the, his, run of you know his uh, was just uh was a really good series i mean it was just from the very very beginning i mean he was kind of like he was kind of a jerk he was kind of self-centered he was more interested in using um you know trying to make um a profit from his from his powers um oh wow he you know but he he slowly and he and he wasn't very comfortable 
as the Flash when he first started. Like he was always Kid Flash, and then when Barry died, he in- inherited the mantle of the Flash, and he didn't like he didn't settle into it easily, which was really interesting. And then slowly he evolved into this hero, and they built this amazing supporting cast around him. Um, just probably one of the best in, in comics. So, which is also kind of exciting for, you know, from the show's perspective because they have, because it's like they've got so much material to, to, uh, to, to mine, you know, so much material that they can use. Um, it's just exciting stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I think you should have sold me on uh, Flash back in the day. <laughs> I would have probably been more of a Flash fan. And, and you know what's what's sad? It's a it's a it's a real crime. They've, to my knowledge, and I'm actually gonna I'll, I'm gonna double check on this when I go to work tonight. But I don't think they've ever reprinted the early Flash stuff. Uh, the, I'm, the I'm sorry, the early Wally West Flash stuff from the 80s and 90s. Like his like the Mark Wade stuff and the Jeff John stuff is is usually what you hear about when you you know when people talk about like you know very popular runs on the flash but you know i um i grew up i th- i want to say it was uh i'm trying to remember the author or the writer i think it was i want to say it was Brian no it wasn't Brian Augustine um it was well i know the the artist actually was uh Butch Geis in the beginning which Oh my God, Butch Geis, he's like, he's drawn everybody. I mean, he's, he doesn't get a lot of, uh, I, I don't think he, you know, he, he's one of the, uh, unsung heroes in, in the comic book industry. Hmm. I've, I've been familiar with his work, but I always knew him from his cross gen work of, uh, what was it, Ruse he used to do? Yeah. It was like some Sherlock ripoff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's pretty good. I, I must admit, at the time, I wasn't too thrilled because this was, you know, you're like in your late teens, early teens, and uh, you kind of like that poppy stuff. I did anyway, so it was like if it didn't look kind of anime-ish, I wasn't into it Mm -hmm. until, you know, in my later years where I got all into comic history. Okay, it was, I'm sorry, it was um, Mike Barron was the guy who who wrote the flash it was um who started the, it was uh, flash volume 2 with uh with well he goes by either Jackson Geis or Butch Geis um but uh yeah and then eventually Mark Way took over um yeah so yeah, like I said, that was that was um, when I started. It was with the with the uh, Mike Barron stuff. I mean, like I started from like number one, and uh, yeah, like I said, just a, a really good run that I um, in the beginning that I, just doesn't get a lot of uh, notor- it, you know doesn't really get any notoriety or any attention. Um, it's always and I'm, I'm you know and this is not to say anything bad about the Mark Wave stuff. You know, actually I've never read it, but I hear nothing but good stuff about it. Um, but, you know, I think people, if, you know, if it's possible, you know, if you ever find this stuff in like, 
dollar bins or find a good deal on some back issues. The um, the first Flash, I'm sorry, well, the first Wally West, Wally West Flash run of books was really good. Okay. I'll have to check it out. Oh, and, um, well, you know what, going back to the, uh, to the TV show real quick, mm-hmm. it came out, uh, was it this week or last week that Mark Hamill is supposed to reprise his role as the trickster? Yeah, I read that and I was just like, yeah, that's gonna be funny. Although I, for some reason I keep picturing cockknocker. Excuse my language. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I kept picturing. I was like, oh good, he'll be that. And it's like, no, that wasn't him. But I don't know. <laughs> that would be interesting to see how he plays it. You, you know, it's funny. It's, it's funny that you mentioned Cockknocker because uh, at the store I work, we we actually got in. Um, they're not. They're like I hate to say dolls, but they're they're like the like the um, they're not action figures. They're like the twelve inch dolls um, of Bluntman, Chronic, and Cockknocker. <laughs> and they're like they have like it's you know with the cloth like you know clothing and mm. and uh it's kind of it's weird though because I'm like you know I, I said to I don't know if it was someone I work with or the manager but I I said you know this is it's weird that these are coming out now it's like you know is there you know a a revitalization in the in the Jay and Silent Bob um, you know, franchise or their, you know, the, or Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. I mean, that came out, God, it was like 10 years ago. Wow. It has, hasn't it? Because I remember the Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back was the first DVD I ever bought. When I, when I first, when I bought my first DVD player, that was the first movie I bought with it. Wow, wow. I sometimes I tell you, sometimes when you think about like certain movies you used to watch when you're young and then you realize how old they are. Mm-hmm. Kind of throws me back like ten years, Jay and Sam Bob. Um sure. You know what? I bet it it's probably because of that smog cast with Kevin Smith. He's been doing like all sorts of stuff with that show. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean he released what was it Jay and Silent Bob super groovy cartoon movie? Yeah, and I've I haven't seen it, but I've I've heard really bad things about it, like from, uh, from actual like Jay and Silent Bob fans. Wow, that's something. I I don't know. I watched probably like half of it, and then like again, my kid woke up, so I had to stop it. And as well as I was kind of getting done with it anyway, because I was like, eh, I get where they're going, but mm-hmm. I just kind of figured, you know, it's just not my humor anymore. Like I, I appreciate Kevin Smith as a creator. When he does his Fat Man on Batman, it's actually pretty cool because he he interviews like Neil Adams and mm-hmm. like all those other guys, and it's really good stuff. It's just, I guess, as a a funny person, I just don't get his comedy anymore. I guess. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 actually kind of the same way, and and I feel the exact same, you know, the exact same way. Like I, I appreciate him as a creator and what he's been able to build. But, uh, yeah, his, like, I, I just feel like I've grown out of that stuff. You know, yeah. I, I, part of me still loves it, but it's, yeah, 
like uh, for nostalgia reasons, mm-hmm. you know, like I'd be glad to, I mean, I, I think I watched, I want to say I watched Jason Amy or like Clerks. I think I watched Clerks back in October and I loved it. It was super cool. Uh, I, I, I think I always have a, a soft spot for Jason Amy, but I guess when it comes to his funny, funny stuff, like I probably couldn't watch Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back anymore because it's just like, eh. I know one one movie I always have a problem going back and rewatching is Mallrats. Gosh, I don't think I haven't watched that in forever. Like when I it first it. came out, I loved it, and I tried watching it like a year or two ago. And I was like, I can't do it. It's just, it's, you know, um, chasing Amy. I, yeah, I still like, well, I find that I love the first half and I get really annoyed at the second half. Like it just, it just goes like down after the, so, so quickly. Like after the breakup. Yeah. Like after they, I, I don't know. After like they decide to introduce like all the drama in it. Mm. Um, it just feels so forced and just ham fisted. Um, yeah, I just, uh, like I said, I, I love the first half of it. The second half, I feel like uh, upon rewatching it just kind of falls flat for me. Um, dogma, I haven't watched in a long time. I love. Uh, I can probably say I love Dogma. I, I like the, a lot of the. I don't know if you want to say messages, mm-hmm. but messages. I really like that. That was good. And my uh, my I, we got our mother in law to watch it. Who's a, a Catholic, so and she okay. enjoyed it. Which I was kind of nervous if she was going to watch, but like, uh no, I mean, I mean, yeah, no, they they. There's a lot of interesting messages in that movie and a lot of good points about, you know, not only, you know, Christianity, but religion in general. Mm. Agreed. Um, Although I do like how, I don't think it's a spoiler if it's like 15 years, right? Definitely not. Okay. Like, uh, I liked how they had a, was that Alanis Morissette as God. Like really? Yeah, that was interesting. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, uh, you know, leading up to like the uh, to his current stuff, like, uh, and I've I've been very vocal about this in the past. I won't go into it, but yeah, like, comic book men can't stand it. You know, yeah, I cannot, I just. Yeah, See, I, I think it's the worst. <laughs> and I agree. But yet, to me, it's like that train wreck. You just kind of got to mm-hmm. watch it. I don't know why. Like, as soon as I see it on Netflix, I'm like, okay, I'll watch it. What the hell? And I'm looking at the stuff, and I'm like, man, this is some dumb television. And my wife will come in, and she's like, what are you watching? She's like, comic book, Ben. And, I was, and she'll be like, why are you watching it? I was like, I don't know. It's just it's dumbass TV. <laughs> and she's like... Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know why. I I don't know. It's like a train wreck to me, and I just keep watching them. They're not good. They're not. They're far from good. But for some reason, it's like I guess it was like a, a guilty cl- pleasure. <laughs> say. 
Like I used to, I used to leave it on because when it first came on, it was right after The Walking Dead, and so they would play Walking Dead and then Comic Book Man, which was a half hour, and then the second half hour would be Talking Dead. Um, so I used to just leave it on and wait, you know, because I was waiting to watch Talking Dead. So I would just leave it on in the background and I would do whatever. Uh, but now, uh, and, and yeah, so it was just like, I wasn't really watching it, but at the same time, I was just dumbfounded by how bad it was and just like, just so fake and forced and scripted. And, uh, so I'm glad now that they made Talking Dead a full hour, they moved Comic Book Ben to Midnight. <laughs> On AMC, which is like, I mean, and I, I've, I've mentioned this before, but it's like, so now they play uh, the first run of Walking Dead, then they have Talking Dead right after, and then they play a, re, a repeat of that night's Walking Dead. So they would they would rather play like a repeat of a show than put on... <laughs> Then put on comic book men. It's like they're then they wait until midnight and then put on comic book men. So I don't know if like I mean I guess it's just you know having that show just must be a no brainer for AMC. Like it must not cost a lot to produce because you know since it's in his store and um, I mean he probably does a bulk of the work. Um. So yeah. it's probably it's probably not costing AMC that much to uh, you know to have it on the, on their network, but although you kind of feel like you have to like they <laughs> like Kevin Smith has to take the hint like okay your show's at midnight here you you might as well just stop doing it. Mm-hmm. It's like having stuff at like three o'clock in the morning like new episodes. <laughs> <laughs> But then again, I don't know. He, uh, that show, like I said, it's just one of those oddball shows. I just, I don't know why I keep watching. It's kind of like Pimp My Ride. Like, I really loved that show for <laughs> some reason. Like, I don't know why. It was always the same. You know, exhibit, they do like some sort of weird editing down the street, like just him looking all bad at, or uh, looking like a. Uh, I'm trying not to cuss. <laughs> uh, looking really cool. And, you know, he goes to this person's door and, you know, they giggle and they climb all over him. Like, oh, my God, it's an exhibit. And they show, like, this clunker of a car. And then, you know, they take it to that body shop. And all they do is just put, like, a bunch of screens in the car that don't even need screens. <laughs> like TV screens. <laughs> yeah, that just seems dangerous. I imagine so. <laughs> I mean, how many freaking, uh, I, I'm like, those are like LCD screens mm-hmm. that you need. Like, you have them in your trunk, you have them in the sidecar, like in the back and in the front, and like, I don't know. It was just like this dumb stuff, and I'm like, why do I keep watching this? But yet, I was just always watching it. <laughs> It'd just be on, and I'm like, okay, I'll watch four in a row. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, I guess the I guess television just needs that dumb 
brain-numbing 30 mm-hmm. to an hour minutes every now and then on each station. Yeah, I mean, and that's nothing new. I mean, there's always stuff that is out there that, you know, we'll just, you know, you, you put on just so you have some background noise. And it's like, I don't know. And then, I mean, then there's, and, and outside of just TV, that's, you know, music, uh, movies, books, comics. I mean, there's, there's always stuff that we, we, it's like stuff that we subject ourselves to, even though, we're not crazy about it, but either we feel compelled to to read it, watch it, listen to it, whatever, because of nostalgia or because of obligation. Like, oh, I've been I've been watching this show this long. I might as well see how it ends. Um, uh, you know, or I've, I've you know I've already read three books in this series of books i might as well finish the fourth one or so it's it's just like these things that we subject ourselves to that um and i used to be that way with comics like i would you know if even if a comic started going downhill i would still buy it month in and month out because well i've already you know i've already got a hundred issues of this book i might as well keep reading it and it, it took me a long time to be okay with saying like no i don't have to keep reading this like there's i'm i'm under no obligation to read this book even if i you know if i don't like it you know like i i would get home with my stack of books some nights and i would just be flipping through it i'm like "Ah, i guess i'll read this first and get it out of the way oh wow you know it's but it's like you shouldn't have you know you shouldn't feel that way about something that you supposedly love I mean, I, I guess I don't have that, that mentality anymore. Like, I guess I never really did. Cause when I went to college, I couldn't collect as many comics. I mean, when I got out of school and I had a little bit more money, I was able to buy books. But by that time, I was buying like graphic novels. Mm-hmm. And I'll admit there had been some books where I kind of regretted. Um, buy and after and I'm just like I don't know why I even bought this like Angela (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah I can feel you on that one just like oh what the hell (laughs) no wait no what what Angela are you referring to what is it like the old one or the new one or Uh, the old one it was um, I think it was her first limited series Oh, okay. Where she, her and Spawn go to hell and, um, I don't know, some things happen and had some pretty great, great Kapula art in it, I have to admit. Hmm. At the end of the day, it just seemed like a very bad cop movie. I mean, okay. I guess it was a product of its time, but. Okay, yeah, I was just, I was curious because, um, the new, because she's got a new, title coming out from Marvel now uh, called it's Angela Asgard's Assassin. Yeah, that looks kind of interesting. Although I, it seems it's some reason still feels kind of weird seeing her under a Marvel title, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of glad they, I guess they made her into a space character. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like they, 
I was, I, you know, was a bit skeptical when I heard that they were bringing her to Marvel. Um, but comforted by the fact that I was probably never, ever going to read anything she was in. So, but then I, and I also heard how they kind of folded her into the Marvel U. And I was like, okay, that's not bad. It kind of makes sense. So, um, I don't think it, it felt nearly as forced as Nick Fury Jr. did years ago when they, you know, when they had to, you know, Marvel felt compelled to make Bring a Sam Jackson. Uh, yeah, make a Sam, like a Sam Jackson character See, I in the regular Marvel U. I don't know why Marvel just didn't do their version of Crisis at Infinite Earth. I mean, I guess I hear rumors they're probably doing it this coming summer. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand why they couldn't just did that with their ultimate and their uh, current, their uh, 616. And just merge them both when the the Marvel movies were becoming really popular because they already had Sam Jackson there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so yeah, he was there. He was from there from the beginning with the Ultimates. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have a good answer for that. I don't think you know. I don't even think Marvel has a good answer for that. To be quite honest with you, but. Um. Well, how about how about if we switch from stuff that drives us crazy to stuff we actually like? Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> um, so I read. Uh, uh, let's see, what did I read? Oh, yeah, I read um, the Django Zorro number one from it's a uh, Dynamite and Vertigo comics actually because. I guess um, Django is technically like the comic book version is technically a Vertigo property, but this was um, I, I'm assuming this is a limited series, but it just says number one. But it's written by Quentin Tarantino and Matt Wagner, and art by uh, I'm gonna guess his name is Esteve Poles. Uh, it looks like it basically looks like E Steve, so. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna guess it's Esteve, um, but my you know my I don't know if that's Hispanic or what my Espanol is a little rusty, but um, this was um, I was intrigued by this book because I've I've always been like a little bit of a Zorro fan. Uh, I just like the the pulp, you know, that that pulp characters in general, um, and Zorro definitely falls into that, and. That they were going to team him up with Django from the Django Unchained movie, um, I, I was one of the things like, okay, I have to see how they're going to do this, and and this story takes place uh, a couple of years after the events of the movie, after Django Unchained. Uh, Django is a, a bounty hunter, and he he comes across an older and sophisticated. Diego de la Vega, um, who we know is Zorro, but he has no idea. He just thinks that he's this, um, you know, he, Django is surprised by his, uh, that, you know, he's uh, almost, you know, he's fancy, you know, and, and Django is not used to that. You know, this is the Wild West. Uh, Django is not used to, you know, fancy people who don't see color, you know, like 
he's so used to being seen as a you know a black man and he's he takes a lot of you know he's um and, and it's really hard for him but de la vega you know that that it that doesn't you know he doesn't see that he he just sees him as a man so they kind of quickly have this really great rapport and Django agrees to uh, accompany him and is hi eventually hired on as his bodyguard. Um, and then as you, you know, there's a, a scene later on where uh, De La Vega is a kind of accosted by um, a couple, you know, some, some cowboys and, you know, obviously, you know, as we know, De La Vega doesn't need a bodyguard because he's Zorro and he quickly, you know, dispatches these guys. But, um, no, this was, this was a really fun book. And, uh, like I said, I don't know where it's going. I don't know if it's a mini series, but, you know, seeing these two guys, these two characters teamed up was, uh, really out there. And I think it was kind of, um, almost in, like inspired thinking that, that brought these two characters together. And it, and it makes sense when you read it. Um, the art by, uh, Steve Poles is really good. Uh, he, he, he gives Django a look that without, without trying to make him look exactly like Jamie Foxx, which was, which I really appreciated because I know it's, it's really hard to do a comic based on a, uh, a movie or a TV show and try and straddle that fine line between uh, you know, photo referencing and giving, you know, and using your own style. So, uh, but they, they managed to, uh, he manages to real, to pull it off really well in this book. So, um, yeah, Django Zorro from Dynamite slash Vertigo. Uh, I definitely recommend it. It's, it was a lot of fun. And if you like either of those two characters, you'll probably enjoy this. So. It does look really good. I've been checking out the, the artwork when you were talking. Yeah. This looks really nice. I'm a big fan of the movie, uh, Django. I, well, I, I like the Zorro movie too. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, not the, the forties one, but the one with the, uh, Antonio Banderas. Right. Yeah. And if, you know, if, um, the, uh, Anthony Hopkins, like the older Zorro, you know, that, if, you know, if you kind of picture that, you know, picture him meeting up with Jamie Foxx's Django and just kind of imagine what kind of interesting, uh, relationship they would have or conversations they would have. It was just, uh, yeah, so this is, but this is something I'm definitely going to keep, uh, keep going with. Huh. So. Awesome. I'll have to check it out then. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so what do you got? I got Wool. We'll start with that one. Uh, Wool by Jet City Comics. I, um, I didn't actually read the, the comic books as they came out. I just read the trade. So. Okay. I don't think it's any difference based on the, the book by Hugh Howley. It, essentially, it takes place in this dystopian future where mankind are in a silo. 
and everyone has their parts to play. Uh, sheriff, may, uh, mayor. There's even like a section called, uh, I think it's called mechanical. NIT. And sorry, I got distracted by clapping downstairs. <laughs> uh, I'll just read the blurb because it'll probably sum it up better. Uh, this is the story of mankind clawing for survival, of mankind on the edge. The world outside has grown unkind. The view of it uh, limited. Talk of it is forbidden, but there are always those who hope, who dream. Uh, these are the dangerous people. Sorry. Uh, the residents who infect others with their optimism. Their punishment is simple. They are giving uh, the very thing that possessed uh, to want, they are uh, they are allowed outside, and it's by Justin Gray and Jimmy Palmiotti. <laughs> yeah, Palmiotti. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And artwork by uh, Jimmy Bronston, and covers by Darwin Cook. Um, you know, I'm going to start with Darwin Cook first because you, I had to admit, I'm always been a Darwin Cook fan. Like, no matter what. But, and they printed his covers inside the trade. I wasn't a big fan of his covers. Hmm. No. I, I, no, they just weren't very good. Like, the cover that he did for the, the trade was good, but all the other ones just were, I don't know, just not up to par. Just weren't as creative. Okay. Maybe because the interior guy was just he wasn't different per se but it just didn't seem like a very good match now uh Jimmy Bronxton on the other hand I loved his interiors it was very neat it kind of reminded me of like and even the way the story was playing out it reminded me of like those old uh, like 60s early 70s science fiction films like um oh what is it hell 9000 um Crap. <laughs> oh, Space Odyssey. Uh, Space Odyssey. Oh, okay. Like, you mean like 2001? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Like that type of material. Like just very kind of blockish but roundish mm-hmm. feel. Uh, the coloring was pretty good, actually. It was uh, mostly like monochromatic, maybe a little duotone, but all the story, all the, the drawings were great. The story, on the other hand, eh, it was good. I liked the story. I liked how it played out. Um, I kind of have to admit that I've seen better stuff from Justin Gray and I'm just going to say Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> it says here he, it, it, that Hugh Hawley wrote it, too, but I, I don't know when it was first published as a novel. So, for all I know, they just adapted what he had. And, um, sorry, I got distracted there. Um, I've seen better work from them. Maybe, like, on, uh, I'm trying to think what other books I've seen. <laughs> like, Daughters of the, like, Daughters of the Dragon, I really liked. Oh, okay. That they wrote. And, um, and there was some really good moments in here. It's just, it, it kind of, I guess it just dragged. 
a little bit too much, and then it just kind of came together towards the end pretty quickly. Like in two issues, they're like, "Oh, this is what we have to do." But all in all, though, I mean, even though it sounds mostly a negative review, I I still say read it. It's pretty good read, and the artwork was definitely something that got me through it. Just the way the panel layout and just the designs of each character and mm-hmm. it just was good. And just the way uh, uh, Jimmy Braxton used uh, shadow and I guess was it like negative space. I don't remember all the technical terms from art school. <laughs> so just the way he played with a lot of the images was just really great. That's cool. Now, do you think, is there enough there that you think you might ever be interested in reading the original books that it was based on? Yeah, I probably could go with that. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, it's, I think in most cases, you know, it's anything that's based on a book, whether it be a TV show, a novel, a comic book, the book is always going to be you know, mostly 10 times better. So I didn't know if that was something, you know, if, if you ever, if you thought like, you know, if, if the opportunity ever came up and you thought, you know, oh, maybe I'll check this out, like the original novel. Yeah, I'd probably check it out if I could. I think there's the, actually more of it too, because... Uh, yeah, it looks I like don't think there's... I don't think it's like a, a spoiler, but it's... Eventually, you find out that there's other silos, mm-hmm. and the one silo that you're mostly focused on throughout the story, it's actually Silo 18, and and then the book, you actually read Silo, or you find out there's a, a Silo number one, and as well as when you travel to a, uh, I think it's like Silo 12 or something, there's like 50 silos in the world, they say, so. It would be kind of interesting to see where all the other ones went to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I was just looking it up on Amazon, and, and it looks like there are there might be like five novels, mm-hmm. and um, and they have them all together in a like an omnibus. So, uh, and it's like, well, and if you have a Kindle, you can get all five books for like some crazy cheap price, like. Five ninety nine or something. Oh, like that's, oh. yeah, like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm always um, interested in like kind of dystopian future type stories. So yeah, this would this would probably be right up your alley. I think I think you'd dig it. Cool. Well, one. Uh, one book I really didn't dig, uh, and it, it, I guess we're gonna, you know, this is gonna be like the the show where we talk about adaptations. Mm-hmm. But I read, um, where is it? Oh, uh, Escape from New York, number one from Boom Studios, and let's see, written by Christopher Sabella and art by Diego Barreto, and. Have, are you familiar with the movie Escape from New York, the Kurt Russell, the, the John Carpenter movie? I am. I. It's actually one of my movies on my must-watch list. Okay. And I probably watched like the first ten minutes of it, and I, you know, Netflix went down 
There's always something that just kind of gets in the way <laughs> of some of these movies. But yet, Netflix seems to work when I watch comic book. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, but me- I I know about uh, most of the plot line of it. So okay. So. Yeah, and it's it's pretty it's pretty straightforward. Um, it's the future. Uh, the United States is just a wreck. Uh, Civil War, you know, has broken out. Uh, the entire island of Manhattan is a penal colony. And in the movie, Kurt Russell's character, Snake Plissken, one of the most awesome anti-heroes of all time, is sent in to retrieve the president whose uh, plane crashed en route to a, uh, a peace summit. And Kurt, I mean, like, Snake Plissken, I mean, the character of Snake Plissken is, to this day, I mean, this movie came out in the early 80s. I mean, to this day, Snake Plissken is still just a badass. I mean, he's just, you know, incredible. Uh, the way he's played, he's like, it's, it's like a very John Wayne, uh, Clint Eastwood type of feel where he doesn't really say a lot. Like he, you know, he just, he has this air about him and he talks with his, you know, his actions or just a look. And so this, um, this book picks up pretty much right as the movie ends. I mean, it's the first page is the last, you know, minute of the movie. And, um, as a result of, Something Snake does at the end of the movie, he is uh, public enemy number one again. I say again is because when when he is sent in to New York to retrieve the president, he was arrested. He, um, you know, Snake Plissken was this war hero, um, but you know, eventually kind of turned to crime and and uh, just general mayhem. Uh, for whatever reason, you know, that's the other thing. You don't really know a lot about Snake other than he was, you know, he was in the military, multiple wars, um, and he was a criminal. You know, he's a criminal now. So his um, his reward for bringing the president back was his pardon. Well, that, you know, at the beginning of this book has been immediately rescinded and he is. Now again, wanted, he's a wanted man and he's trying to make his, just make his way out of the New York area. Um, it's, this book, uh, suffers from a couple of things. Um, they don't really, I don't really feel like they get Snake right. They, you know, um, It's just, you know, it's a tough character to get a handle on because, like I said, he doesn't say a lot. He's not supposed to say a lot. He's not supposed to be like a chatty Kathy. And he's the kind of character that you probably really don't want to know a lot about his background. Um, he's more interesting as a mystery. Kind of the same way Wolverine was before they decided to just blow up his origin and tell you everything you need to know about Wolverine. Um, so the, 
the, the, the character, you know, the, the, the characterization just doesn't feel right. And, uh, the, the art, um, slash action is like, if, if this were not specifically an escape from New York comic book, this probably wouldn't be too bad, but as a, you know, as something that is supposed to be following up escape from New York, like, I just feel like this falls short. It's just, um, if, if you know, if you're a fan of Escape from New York, um, I would kind of be surprised if people really like this. Um, so I would be interested to hear if, if there's a, you know, another fan out there who read this and liked it. Definitely let me know why, because this just read like really just, I read like fan fiction and not good fan fiction. Um, also, it's just weird that they put out an Escape from New York comic, you know, 30 some years after the movie because I don't know who's, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of fans out there, but, you know, there are probably a t- like, you know, the next generation of comic book readers who haven't seen the movie or have no intention of seeing the movie what you know or i mean kurt russell's i mean kurt russell's still great now but he's he's an old man i mean he's like you know he's not an action star anymore he's not he's not relevant in the eyes of most moviegoers or comic book readers or whatever i mean so this is really only you know going to appeal to a small demographic um so i i feel like this might have benefited from just being you know if they just put out like a nice thick one shot or done it as a graphic novel or something or a web series maybe i don't know but and i i don't know how long this book can go i mean it's called escape from new york well okay he's already escaped new york why <laughs> well he didn't escape New York State. Well there you go. No, see that that's the thing. At the end of the issue he's in Florida. Oh. <laughs> that's the other thing. Like the the pacing of, of this book is so choppy that he it, it feels like he goes from New York to Florida in like two days. But even though but wow. in between he's like all this other stuff happens. Um you know, he, he meets people along the way, he uh, gets into a couple of fights. He's still being chased by the military or the police. Well, it's like a, it's, it's almost like a police state now at this point. Um, like the military and the police almost seem like one. Um, let's just say he's being chased by the authorities, whoever that happens to be. So, uh, like all this stuff happens in the first issue, and they just they they never really. I feel like like the tone of the book should be like really dark and gritty and that should be reflected in the art, not just saying, Oh, we live in a really dark and gritty world now. Like this, this book really would have benefited from, um, uh, like an artist, say like Alex Maleev or, uh, Michael Lark, like, or anyone who draws with like a nice, like that uses a lot of shadows and, or a lot of texture or like, uh, something that you can actually feel in the art. And 
this just didn't do it for me. So this I cannot recommend to anybody, even if you're a fan. But if you are a fan and enjoyed this book, please let me know why. Goodness. Yeah. Actually, I'm, I'm trying to find the artwork now. I, I think I saw the cover. Well, yeah, there was there were several covers for it. And I was super excited when I heard this was coming out because I'm, a, I'm just a big fan of the movie. And and I know they've tried to do Escape from New York comics in the past, and they were pretty awful. I think it was like in the 90s, and there was uh, – it was like some independent – comics company that last you know was around like for a minute put out like three issues of escape from new york and they're just terrible um because i don't think you know like this book you know i, I feel like doing a character like snake Plissken is is daunting because he you know he doesn't really have any character to speak of i mean you only um they, they they don't tell you a lot about him he doesn't reveal anything about himself um you know he's uh he doesn't talk a lot and now to be fair i've i have not seen escape from la which you know i i, I hear most people just kind of don't consider that part of the Snake Plissken lore because it's so bad. But I don't know. I mean, if you're just going off of Escape from New York, then I don't think that this book is a is a worthy uh, predecessor. So, sorry to bring it down like that, but... Well, it just makes me more excited to read, to watch the movie. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, well, that, and, and if and if you've not seen the movie, I mean, this goes for anybody. You should. It's 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 just just a fun just a fun movie, and there's a uh, a lot of cool people in it. Um, I actually saw it um, a couple of years ago. They had a a screening of it at the Warhol, believe it or not, the uh, Warhol Museum here in Pittsburgh. They um they were doing a series of movies I think like once a month they were doing like a it was like a movie and they would have a Q and A they would actually bring in people that were in the movie to uh, after the movie was over um, take questions from the audience and it's a, it was a very small theater it's not like you know, like the stadium theaters that we're so used to now it's a very intimate setting. And uh, they brought in um, Adrian Barbeau and Tom Atkins. Um, no relationship to Sean Atkins. Oh, sorry to say, but Tom Atkins is actually he's a he's a local guy. He's a Pittsburgher, um, and he was in this movie. And I didn't I didn't pay the extra because like you had two ticket options. You could just pay to watch the movie, or you could pay to watch the movie and stay for the Q&A, and there was like a meet and greet afterwards. I only paid to watch the movie, so I left after. But Adrian Barbeau and Tom Atkins sat right behind me during the movie. 
Nice. Because I sat, cool. I sat in the very last row, and they wanted to sit and watch the movie, but there were, you know, the, the theater filled up immediately, so the organizers brought them some chairs and just had them sitting, in the, you know, behind the last row, which was behind me, and they're just chatting like, I, like I just heard their conversation half the time, which was, which didn't bother me because I'm like. Oh my God, Adrian Barbeau and Tom Atkins are sitting behind me talking about this movie. It's so cool. So. Nice. That's really cool. Yeah, that was, that was fun. But, but anyways, um, getting back to the movie, like I said, if, if you've not seen it, it's, it's definitely worth checking out. The comic, not so much. I will stay away from the comic and, uh, stay from LA. Well, actually, it didn't look too bad. Like, I think I saw, I think maybe I saw part of it on TBS one time mm-hmm. on a Saturday afternoon. So, uh, maybe I'll try it. I always feel like I should watch it just to, just to see, but I don't know. It's, it, it's not, it's definitely not on my to-do list, so. Yeah. It's like, um, actually talking about dystopian futures i'm a big fan of um death race 2000 oh yeah but not the the remakes the one from the 70s with yeah the, okay i loved that movie and then when i heard that they remade it and i was just like i watched it and i was just like really you took all that fun stuff and just made it into this crappy movie yeah we I remember a few years ago we watched the the remake, the Jason Statham remake, and um, I had uh, yeah I had seen the first one years ago and had his Sylvester Stallone and was it David Carradine? Yeah. Um, as Casanova Frankenstein. That's right. All that. And uh, yeah, I mean, talk about it. I mean that that was just like a great. Uh, just, it's, it was one of those, it's so bad, it's good kind of cult classics. Yeah. I, I loved it. I always, I think I told Steph it was like a lethal version of the wacky race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was like, it, it was the cannonball run, but with a lot more death. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and so, then they do those movies and I'm like, really? In the sequel. And I'm like, oh, I didn't see the sequel that they made. I wasn't happy with the first one. Yeah, I I I saw enough to know. I'm like, yeah, I'm 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 good. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you got anything else? Uh, sure. I think I have. Oops. Add it up. And then I closed it. I have Blade, Blade, Black and White, the trade paperback. Um. Which tells like the early versions of Blade the the Vampire Slayer. Okay. And I kind of have to admit, uh, I only knew Blade from the movies before this, and also I'm only halfway through it, maybe like a good quarter of it because it's a trade. And when reading the older stuff, I always say like before like '85 or even '89, it's a little more lengthy or a little more condensed so it takes me a little while longer to read them 
And I kind of have to say, you know what? I liked it. I, I like what I'm seeing so far. And uh, it's been mostly written by Marv Wolfman and uh, Tony Dezunga. I might have butchered his last name. Uh, does the artwork on it. And it's pretty good. I, I've always been impressed by uh, Tony's work. Mm-hmm. Like in the past, like I've seen like a couple of his uh, witching hour uh, stories, and I think uh, scans of his Vampirella stories in the seventies. And so, you know, this was no different. This was actually pretty good stuff, and it's got me hooked a bit because I'm at the part where Blade is. You know, that typical vampire hunter, but, you know, in the 70s, he, he doesn't take jive from nobody. <laughs> and he's in London, so it's like this jive-talking vampire slayer in London. Nice. In the 70s. <laughs> and you actually have, like, your typical 70 cops tropes in there, like the, the cop that tells Blade he's going over. It's like, you're gone too far this time, Blade. You gotta stop. <laughs> you gotta slow it down, you know. And Blade's like, I ain't gonna take nothing from nobody. I do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was reading that, and I was just like, really? You're going this route? But I, I liked it. It was pretty funny. But I'm at the part where um, he's in a frame-up. Uh, Blade's been framed for this murder that he didn't commit. And it was actually pretty interesting because the story even tells you it's it's called... Um, uh, what was it called? The, the Night Josie Harper Died. And I'm like, okay. And you see this woman running on the on the first page, and I'm like, well, that must be Josie, and it's... It's totally not. It's somebody else. And, you know, throughout this book, I'm like, where is this Josie Harper? How the hell am I going to care about this person that's going to die if you tell me this person's going to die? <laughs> and uh, it was like the, the last page of that story. And you're like, oh, my gosh, what the hell? What's going to happen? Because they actually build it up a little bit, like uh, Blade and the, the stereotypical cop. And, uh, like, oh, you can't keep slipping up, Blade. You know, I can't keep telling people that, you know, this, that, and the other thing. You're going to mess up one of these days. And Blade's like, I'll do what I want. So, so, so you're saying, like, even though he's not a cop, it's like Blade is reporting to the angry black captain he, in the movies? He doesn't necessarily report to him, but he will stick around for the cops to show up. Okay. Like, he doesn't do that whole vigilante I gotta leave before the cops show up, and you know, here's a note saying, you know, brought to you by your friendly neighborhood vampire slayer. <laughs> he sticks around, and you know, I guess he gives them the the feeling like these were vampires. I guess that's what I kind of got from it. And apparently, he plays uh, what is the instrument he plays? I think it's like a trumpet because he grew up in a jazz home, a jazz club. Oh, yeah? With the uh, ladies of the night. Well, no, like uh, chorus girls and stuff. Yeah. I have no idea. Apparently, he goes to this place called The Old Boy, and he plays a couple sets. So. And so far, you know, I'm like I said, I'm hooked. I, I really like it, and I'll probably keep going towards the end. Um, 
I'm still not digging his his uh, visual style. Like, I like everything else, but it's the goggles that just throw me off. And it's not even, like, cool goggles. They like, look like, you know... They look like safety goggles. Yeah. And, like, you see it in color, and it's just like, why? Like, the, the cover is in color. Mm-hmm. And I just always keep telling myself, like, everything about it seems neat. Like, he has the sash with the knives, and he has, like, the, the leather jacket, or at least I think it's leather. It's brown. It can do without the green pants but yeah know, i was gonna say it, it's interesting because his his look is definitely not that of the movies or like the current incarnations in the comics but he's it's definitely of the time in like the 70s like it, he's not dressed in like cool black leather like exactly he he's got like a like a big like wide lapel leather jacket and brown boots and green pants and but hey that was you know that, that was the thing that, it just that was the 70s throw me like i can dig the 70s stuff but just the goggles that just kind of throw me off like just mm-hmm. throws me out of it i'm like oh. like he's being like this ultimate bad is like shaft with a with a you know blade mm-hmm and then you just look at him as he's delivering like these serious stuff, and he has like these goofy goggles. <laughs> it's like, dude, I just can't take you seriously. <laughs> exactly. It's like, why am I taking you seriously? You don't even. What do you use those goggles for? Anyway, you wear them at night. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's definitely a must read if you're a Blade fan. I, I like the movies. I'm I'm not going to say too much about Blade comics after that part. I don't know what they did, or even if they had like a, a couple of Blade series from Marvel. Yeah, you know, I was I I, I subscribed to um, Marvel uh, Marvel Unlimited, so I was just looking to see what they had as far as Blade stuff. The only thing they have is there was um, a. Uh, a series in the mid uh, 2000s that was um, that I actually I, I heard pretty favorable things about it. Um, it was uh, oh yeah, it was written by uh, Mark Guggenheim, and uh, the art was by Howard Chaikin actually. Hmm. And I don't know if he did the whole series. Um, but, and, and, and the series itself only ran 12 issues, but it was supposed to be pretty good. And I think, I want to say like Dr. Doom shows up somewhere. Um, but yeah, there, there have been, and, and I, I know Blade had, I think, I want to say Blade had like a Max, uh, series as well. And then there was also one in the, maybe like the, nineties or early two thousands where he was all like super muscly and um yeah I, I just remember like uh uh Bart Sears drew him and if you're if you, if you at all know Bart Sears' style he's like Yeah I like very like, yeah like I, I like Bart Sears in a way but he's you know, it's not for Blade, but he he drew uh, a Blade series for a while, and it was like roided up 
blade. <laughs> he took too much, uh, too many of those serums. Yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, I might actually, you know, I I always kind of forget about blade. I might actually go back and check out these. You know, unfortunately, you know, Marvel Unlimited has a lot of stuff, but mm-hmm. but as far as like a lot of old stuff or a lot of more of the obscure Marvel stuff, they don't have like, you know, they've only got the the Blade comics from 2006, 2007. They don't have anything prior to that. Well, you're more than welcome to borrow my copy. Okay, I might have to do that. It's it's so far it's been pretty good. I. I enjoy it. I like this this stuff. There's a couple of them, I think. Like, there's a... They have a picture history uh, that they go over, which I don't know why in a Blade book, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to knock it as well as... I think they got a couple of Gene Colan stories, but it looks like later Gene Colan stories. Like, maybe from the 90s. I'm not entirely sure. Okay. So, I'll have to read them. But they look good. And they got, like, this other artist. I don't remember his name. I don't know if he was actually somebody. But he kind of has, like, this weird Kirby-ish art to him. Like, weird Kirby style. And it's not Sholey, Tom Sholey. It's just somebody else. He just got, like, this blocky version of Blade walking around. So Hmm. It's interesting, but on the same tip, I'm like, it kind of throws me out a bit because... I love Kirby, and I, I like anything that he touches, but Blade, I can't really see a Kirby type of influence. I don't know why. I guess I just don't. <laughs> I, I, this is kind of, uh, I don't know if this is kind of disturbing or, or what, but, um, I was, I was, uh, looking up Blade, and I, I found my way to, uh, Wikipedia, and um, I guess you know they and they talk about all of Blaze appearances, both in and out of comics. And apparently, he was on the he was on an episode of the Spider-Man animated series. Um, I think that might have been in the nineties. And I'm trying to double check this, but he looks white. I'm sorry, you kind of blanked out there. What'd you say? Oh, um, that the uh, how far? How much did you hear? I think it was like you had to double check. Oh, that. And then I oh, I'm sorry. That yeah, because the um, blade. Oh, maybe he is black. I don't know. It, it, it looks like <laughs> it kind of looks like Blade was a white guy. In the animated, the uh, Spider-Man animated series, <laughs> but I could be wrong. Um, well, now there's like, this is so weird. I I I have to do more research because this is because I'm seeing both a white guy and a black guy, and they both look like they're dressed in a leather jacket with spikes on it. So I don't know if this was like. Oh, maybe- I see it. Like if this was like the Night Stalkers and they all dress the same, um, but if you if if you're on the Blade Wikipedia page and if you scroll down to where it says in other media under television, 
there's a there's a picture and it says Blade as seen in Spider Man, and it's very obviously a white guy. Yeah, with those big bushy eyebrows. Yeah, so I'm like, well, wait a second, what is going on here? Did they just not pay attention and just arbitrarily thought, oh, well, surely he's a white guy, like the animators or whatever. I'm like, what? That's awful. Um, so have to uh, have to investigate this further. I'm, I'm now I'm kind of interested. Nice. <laughs> you just, I don't know. I figure it just it's a thing. I kind of always imagine just. I mean, he's kind of tan. I don't, maybe it's just whitewashing. I suppose. I don't know. It's the nineties. Bizarre. Yeah, that's the other thing. It's like those yeah. those ninety uh, cartoons. Those you know those animated series were pretty awful. Yeah. Like, that's what kind of, I don't understand when, like, people look at, what was it, the X-Men and Spider-Man fondly, and I'm like, why do you look at it fondly? Like, the X-Men was horrible, like, the animated series, and people were like, oh, the animation was great. And I'm like, are you serious? I, I went to school for this stuff, and I, I just find, like, all these flaws in it. Like, I guess even if I didn't go to school for it, uh, for animation, I wouldn't see it, or I think I'd still see it because I'm like, well, it, like half the time people had different color hair, or people like different voices came out of different mouths. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> well, you know, it, and that I believe that's a that's just a generational thing because, um, I I I've, I hear so many people that that are maybe like. I don't know, five to ten years younger than me will cite that they got into comics through the X-Men animated series. The same way that, you know, Image was, you know, like, they first read Image comics, so that's what they love. Like, they, you know, that was their first introduction to comics. And I, I know this is, this is a fault in my thinking, but I'm so used to, like, you know, growing up and reading comics in the mid to late 80s, that anything after that, I'm like, well, what do you mean you grew up in the 90s reading Image? That's stupid. How could you possibly read that stuff and think it was awesome? You know? But I guess it's the same thing with the X-Men animated series. I mean, yeah, we think it's crap, but there are people that that look up, look back on it with fond memories because that's what got, you know, that's what got them into comics. I just don't get it. Like, I don't know. I mean, I got Batman because of the animated series, but Batman, the animated series is just playing good. Yeah. Like it still holds up today. You watch any episode and you're like, Oh, absolutely. I can get that. The VR one could be a bit dated, but. Everyone thought virtual reality was going to be a thing anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm wondering if this uh if 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 the uh this animated series thing if this was just a matter of terrible coloring. Because sometimes I think it was. Cuz it looks like there's only, I'm 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 actually at this point I'm on the IMDb IMDb page for that episode. 
and Blade is listed, and it's a, a black voice actor, and there's someone who, there's a, the character of Whistler, who we know from the Blade movies, um, was there. He was voiced by Malcolm McDowell. Wow, man, and, that guy's in everything that's bad sometimes. And Morbius was in it too. I guess that's the, that was the impetus for Blade being on the show is that, uh, yeah, he was Spider-Man's trying to help Morbius become human. It says, but, but Blade was after him as well. So that's, I guess that's how they all kind of came to a head. Um, anyway, so we're, we're way off, but, but the, the fact that like they, they possibly colored Blade white is just fascinating to me in a really terrible way. <laughs> like I said, I, I, I think his, I gotta look into it some more. I think his flat top gives it away that he probably is black. Maybe. I'm not saying that, you know, I never, I didn't see any, uh, white people with flat tops, but. Hey, I had a flat. Because I'm looking at. I had a flat top in the uh, in the nineties. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. I I rocked the flat top, something fierce. True story. I actually did as well. Yeah. I. I. I only wore it once though, because I looked ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to picture you with a flat top. It's not. It's not working. Well, kid, or not kid, Play had a flat top, and then I was like, yeah, I want a flat top like Play. <laughs> no, it was kid. Whoever that had the, the big flat top, that's who I wanted. That's why I wanted a flat top. <laughs> did, wait, now, now, <laughs> did, did Will Smith have one in Fresh Prince? Um, am I just am I, am I just imagining that? Crud! I think I want to say he did. See now, now I'm Google surfing. Fresh ah, Prince. So all I can think about is him. Yeah, he totally did. Nice. He totally did. But he could rock it. I could not. I didn't have uh, my mustache yet. Oh, you got to have a mustache. <laughs> you got to have the like face I, I did. I was the scrawny, <laughs> pale-faced kid. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a flat top. Um, <laughs> well, I have I have one more book to to kind of bring us back and finish and finish this off here. Okay. Um. At least I thought I did. Yes, I do. It is. It is Hellboy and the BPRD, 1952, number one, from Dark Horse, and the uh, first of all, the the creative team on this is is like, you know, a, a who's who of of awesome creators. You've got uh, Mike Mignola and John Arcudi writing, Alex Maleev on art, and Dave Stewart on colors. So that alone ought to be enough to get you to get someone to read this. But this is 
so this is basically a story of Hellboy's first mission with the BPRD and I guess eventually joining them on a regular basis. Um, at, at the point when this book starts, uh, the BPRD, which is the Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense, has already been operating for at least one or two years, but it's still pretty newly founded. And Hellboy is, you know, he's been, um, you know, he's been around, he's been um, around the BPRD, but he's been basically stuck at this base for like the first few years of his life. And so he now, now he's in a, he's grown to the size of an adult, but he has very little adult life experience. Uh, so it's interesting. So now he's, you know, he's heading out, he's with, uh, on this, his first mission with the BPRD. And, you know, ha and there's, uh, there's only four of them, uh, you know, for, uh, there's a, and, and they're all, uh, either former military or, uh, former intelligence agents that are now working for the BPRD. And some of them are, are very cool with the idea of Hellboy joining them. Some are not. And so there's, you know, there's definitely some friction there. Um, but, uh, and they, they're heading to South America for a mission. You don't, the, the mission itself isn't really a focal point of the book, uh, of, of this issue. It's mostly just the team um, gearing up and preparing for the mission and uh, getting to South America and just the team uh, kind of gelling. And so, yeah, nothing really happens in this issue as far as anything supernatural. Um, but this was a great first issue. It really uh, it, it was nice to see. You know, the, uh, I'm I'm a sucker for any kind of like flashback story, or you know, a kind of putting the team together type of story, anything like that. Um, and I, I haven't read Hellboy in a long time, so this was this is kind of a good jumping on point in a way. Like, I mean, even though you can you can pretty much read any Hellboy miniseries, they're all fairly standalone i know it's pretty daunting like i don't think a lot of people get into hellboy because he's you know we forget you know he's been around for 20 years and yeah, he's got a lot weird to me not only are there hellboy books but there's there's bprd books there are um you know you got lobster johnson you have um uh, what else abe sapien has his own book so the the Hellboy franchise or the Hellboy world is definitely grown in in the past twenty years. So from that perspective, I could you know I I could totally see how it might be a little um, intimidating to think about trying to get into read Hellboy at this point because again it's been going for twenty years and there's a lot of material out there. I would suggest this would be a good place to start. Um, you know, because you're, you're getting in on the ground floor. It's like you're, you're kind of seeing things through, like you're, you're going along for the ride with Hellboy. Like this is his first mission. This is his first time out in the world. Um, even though like 
you know, Hellboy currently is more accepted by uh, regular people. You know, in 1952, a large demonic-looking thing, person, whatever you want to call it, probably not so much. You know, there's going to be a lot of freaked-out people. Um, so it's just... Uh, yeah, but this this was good, and like the art by Alex Malieve was really pretty great. It wasn't like I've been critical of him in the past because he tends to, um, uh, in some of his previous works, he he tends to do a lot of uh, photoshopping and photo referencing to the point where it just looks like he like took a like grabbed a, an image and just threw some filters over it, but. Uh, in this case, I mean, you can tell that he's actually putting in the work and drawing this. And it's, I mean, and, and he's a great artist, so I'm, I'm happy to see that. Um, I, I really enjoy when he just does art and not try to get it all photo referency. Um, every so often he'll do like a Batman story, and it's incredible uh, because he has this really uh, dark, uh, tone to his to his work, and that's kind of why I, I mentioned him earlier when I was talking about Escape from New York. That I thought, you know, he would be great for a book like that. So, uh, you know, they're they're fortunate to have him on this Hellboy book because he can really add, um, kind of like a like a, a darkness to it that isn't so heavy as Mike Mignola's stuff, but still gives it. Mm-hmm. Um, a nice, like, kind of creepy atmosphere. Neat. I've actually always been kind of curious how... I've always been curious, but as well as I was... Uh, I just kind of accepted it. Like, how Hellboy existed in that world. Mm-hmm. Like, how... Because you're right, because everybody in the current uh, Hellboy present, everyone seems very accepting. Like, just regular people just kind of like... yeah. Hey, what's going on, Hellboy? Mm-hmm. Or, hey, we'll help you. Yeah, like oh, we're we're yeah. working with a demon. Yeah, like it, they just like okay, whatevs. And I always kind of did wonder how they accepted that. But a lot of my question, or like I just kind of got it answered when uh, you reread like his, uh, I don't know what is like his first story. I think they say like he grew up really fast, or maybe it was like an advertisement or something like that where. He kind of does like a quick rundown, Mignola, mm-hmm. who Hellboy is. Like, oh, I came in this year, and then in 52, I got human status, and yada, yada, yada. And I just kind of figured, well, I guess it just came with that human status. I imagine they, it was like in all the papers. And, you know, yeah. People accepted it, but it sounds pretty interesting. I definitely will probably check it out. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, it, it's well worth it, and it, it's it's really good for for a new Hellboy reader, um, or you know, if you've ever been interested in the Hellboy universe but didn't know where to start, I would say just pick up Hellboy and the BPRD 1952 number one, and it's a it's a perfect jumping on point. Um, it's good for new readers and people that have that are like really in you know uh, embedded in the Hellboy. Uh, you know, universe. So. Awesome. 
Yeah. Well, that's um, that's all I have. Um, do you have anything else? Um, <laughs> I guess I could talk about this one thing, but I'll do quick because we've been on for quite some time. Yeah. Okay. Um. <laughs> well, I did have a chance to read Fairhaven. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, brought to you by uh, the guys at CBP. Uh, this podcast, <laughs> just in case. Uh, I liked it for the most part. Um, was it Brian Babiak did the writing? You did a couple pages, and Scott did a bunch of pages. Yeah, yeah, um, it was yeah, it was Brian who did the writing. Um, I contributed, a f- um, some art, but it was yeah, Scott did a bulk of the of the art chores on that book. I. You know, I liked it. I was a little confused because uh, it seemed like there was a lot of stuff going in, mm-hmm. and I kind of wish there did like a you guys would have did like a Mad Max thing, or or maybe not a Mad Max, but like a Star Wars thing. You know, like in the beginning, like A New Hope, where it's like, oh, trouble in the Alliance, and da 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 da. I know you didn't have any control over that, but. Besides that, everything was good. You guys' artwork kind of merged together. You didn't, no one, no artwork ever threw me out or anything. It was good. Nice. You know, it's it's honestly, it's been so long since I've I've read it. I, I was like, oh my, like wow, I have I'd have to go back and actually reread it because it's been it's been forever. Now, was this the um, the collection that you read? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah, that that. They had printed a few years ago, um, maybe just—I want to say maybe three or four years ago. So that's kind of a recent, recent thing. Because um, yeah, when I um, when I first I met them it was in the early 2000s, and that's when I started um, working with them um, on that book. But yeah, well, that's yeah, that was that's cool. I'm glad you, you know. I'm glad you enjoyed it for the most part. I totally forgot about it. (laughs) Yeah, I enjoyed it. I just, I guess I kind of wish there was more information. Like, I guess it was on, I'm not saying, uh, I guess I kind of wish Brian would have maybe filled in the reader a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But besides that, as well as it seemed like it was hinting to a sequel. That's the way I kind of got it. Yeah, I always feel like there was a there was supposed to be a follow up. I don't really remember because it's been, I mean, it's it's really been years since any of us have talked about that, or since I've I've talked with Brian and Scott about it. Um, but yeah, I think there was there either there there were plans for a follow up, or like I said, there was you know it could be left open to to you know revisit that world. Um, but I don't know if, you know, if, if that was ever, uh, you know, decided on, so. Yeah. Oh, well, well, either way, I liked it, so. Cool. That's my little five second that kind of bloomed into ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no problem. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be, uh, talking comics again, you know, it's, it's been far too long as far as I'm concerned. So. Yeah, so hopefully, you know, we'll try and 
we'll see if we can get a uh, kind of a, a daytime nighttime thing going, and we'll see what you know, see what we can make happen. Um, maybe next time we can uh, review as the world turns. Yes, or, we'll do. Uh, yeah. Lighting light. Maybe we'll, we'll we'll do a live recording of us watching our stories. <laughs> yeah. And then you know while we're doing laundry, and we can talk about you know our favorite detergents and what kind of coffee we like to drink, and uh, you know what, uh, yeah, kind of like a couple of old housewives. So, okay, well, if there's nothing else, I guess we can wrap this one up. Um, this has been your your daytime edition of Comic Book Pit. This has been episode 178. I'm Dan. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>